Hello, everybody. Welcome into episode 16 of the Bend Elks podcast. We're here once again. We're getting on to a little bit more of a regular groove as the season winds down. We still got a lot of guys that we want to talk to. If you're new to the podcast, we've got 15 episodes for you to listen to. Make sure to go back and check out those guys as well. A lot of great conversations with a lot of different players. We have one coach so far, maybe going to get another one or two before the season winds down. We'll see what happens. For this episode, we're going to talk to a right-handed pitcher for the Elks, the righty Sam Boone, who is in his third season here with Ben. He played in 2015 and 2016. He was going to play in 2017, but got shut down after getting Tommy John surgery. Boone this season has been in the back end of the Elks bullpen, throwing to a 2.95 ERA, 21 innings of work for him, and he's got 22 strikeouts during that time. He's going to be a redshirt senior at Marshall University. A long journey for Boone, who started out his career at Washington State his freshman year, went to Shoreline CC for his sophomore season, and then transferred over to Marshall. He's played here with the Elks throughout it all, though, and Boone, you are uh, quite a veteran here in the West Coast League, aren't you? Yeah, it's pretty crazy to look in the mirror and say, wow, I'm a veteran in the West Coast League. I never thought I'd make it three years here, Durs. Were you always the tallest guy on the team? Yeah, I would say, well, I'm, I'm second now. Ace, Ace has me beat. My freshman year, We there was kind of a ongoing competition between who could be taller between me and Daniel Bees. Bees now in the Yankees organization, and it was just kind of the ongoing who's taller. We were just like brothers, just kind of like me and Ace. So there's a couple tall kids a year. Yeah, you're 6'8". Uh, I believe Ace is technically 6'9", although he's listed on everything as being 6'8". Is he still growing? You know, it's always been one of those things I've wondered because you kind of look at him and you say, eh, it's not really into his body yet. <laughs> so the guy could have three more inches that we just don't know he about. He should just join the NBA at this point. I don't think Ace has the athleticism for that, <laughs> but I would love to see Ace get dunked on by LeBron James. That would be awesome. <laughs> so here's my question for you, Boone. If you weren't a baseball player, what would be your secondary sport? What are you good at or what would you want to be good at? You know, I always wanted to be a soccer player. Really? No, not really. Okay. It was more <laughs> one of those things that, well, I could, I can run. I can run for a long time. So, like, when other people get tired, I look fast. And I'm not fast. But my sprint's kind of my jog because of my long strides. So probably something among the lines of being, like, a cross-country runner would have made the most sense. Sure, sure, okay, but? But I play baseball. <laughs> so... For some reason, I can throw a body with a ton of moving parts at a decent velocity, and it works itself out. How hard were you throwing before you got Tommy John surgery? Uh, I was 89 to 92, touching 93 here and there, maybe 194 that year. And then when I got to fall, Marshall for the fall, I was 88 to 91 with a 92, 93 here and there. I was a little tired, and I think that's when the arms started to really go away. And then... First weekend of the season at Marshall, I was like 84, and I was like, well, something's not right. Yeah, it was bad. Was it a coach that noticed it first, or did you go up to a coach and say, hey, my elbow feels funny? Well, we had said that I had bicep tendonitis because my bicep was hurting, not my elbow. It was really like an odd thing. So they're like, all right, Lavila's just going to pop back up here once this blows over. So the next week I throw in the game, and I'm like 85 every single pitch. Come off the mound, and I'm like, that hurt. Next morning, like, couldn't lift my arm, and we're like, all right, like, we got to get an MRI. Then it revealed a chronic tear of my UCL. Oh, my gosh. So that meant it could have been torn in high school when I was, like, really good, but I just didn't know about it. Oh, my gosh. 
So you pitch for, in theory, multiple years with a torn UCL. At least from my freshman year on. Oh, wow. And obviously you stayed at Wazoo for just the one year. Do you think that had something to do with your departure? I would say it was a lot of it because if I was there healthy, I came in as one of the bigger recruits. I mean, that sounds a little cocky, but in terms of kind of like where I was, I was ahead of a lot of guys like in my senior summer going in. And then it was just kind of like a constant regression and the arm just kind of got sore and it just wasn't like a good product that was being displayed out there. Did you know Alan before you got Tommy John? And if so, did you talk to him at all about it? Alan Embry, the head coach of the Elks, obviously he got Tommy John when he was a major leaguer. Yeah, so I've known Alan since my freshman year, and that wasn't when I had the surgery. So I'd come in, and basically Alan had mentored me back to being a good pitcher who competes how I should, not throwing off-speed pitches, being able to attack with fastballs. And a lot of it was just throwing programs and, like, how to take care of your body and just being mechanically right. And so my sophomore summer, I believe it was, I think we were in Wenatchee, and Alan sat me down. And I, it was after the All-Star break. And he just kind of looks at me and just like, well, like, I expect you to go to Marshall, potentially get drafted. He goes, that should be what happens. He goes, if anything, ha like, goes wrong, let me know. So week two of the season, I find out, or, like, probably – week three I find out I need Tommy John so I call him up and I'm like yeah so the arm went Oh no! and he was just like well give it time you'll be back <laughs> so then I visited Alan probably about I would say four and a half months out I came down to Gresham for that series and Alan's there and was pretty impressed with the rehab work I'd done like you tell the arm got a lot stronger I hadn't been throwing a baseball yet but he kind of gave me like a talk about how some days are going to feel awesome and it's just not going to be coming out like it used to. So right now I'm in like the 15, 16 month range and I'm starting to see it all come back. And that's when Alan said he started to get it back from time to time. But he said right around that two year mark is when you fully feel like yourself again. So you expect to be back up to the 90s or so where you were before or do you think it's going to sit a little bit lower? Well, at times this summer, I've been up to 90. I think Walla Walla, I was 88 to 90. That was probably the best I've felt in two years. Then at Bellingham the other day, I was up to 89. Obviously, it wasn't that great of a result. I got the bases loaded. but <laughs> um, Yeah, I would say I would expect probably to be in that 88 to 91 range when it all comes back, just as long as I can keep working hard and get through this last step of the whole rehab process i know in 2015 you were a reliever and this season you've been a reliever for bend what were you in 2016 i started opening night wow so i had gone to juco and i knew i was going to start there and i had no problem with that because at that time i still kind of wanted to be a starter when i came to bend at first i did not want to relieve never had done it never had success with it and i kind of learned the ropes that way so i come back down here after throwing 50 60 innings at shoreline casey Paller, head coach slash gm at the time comes up to me and goes hey you're starting opening night against corvallis and i was there and i was like well this should be fun <laughs> i was like can't wait for that casey thanks because corvallis is stacked up right, every year right? every year and oregon state hadn't made a regional that year mm, so, so they were all right there ready to go so it's go time for the knights at this point like 
I'm not facing Lynn Benton CC. I'm facing Oregon State. I'm facing San Diego State, like some really good schools. And I went like six and a third shutout. Just by the end of it was just totally gassed. And Allen wasn't there. He's coaching Ace's high school team, Summit High School, where he coached. Mm-hmm. And the next week we're in Kitsap, who's not in the league anymore. Or they're the lefties now, right? Uh, the ownership group became the lefties, but the Blue Jackets are still an operating team. They're just not in the West Coast League. They're an independent team now instead. Well, that's interesting. But um, so I go and I start against Kitsap. And on Kitsap was a player, Bryce Peterson, who goes to Central Florida. And he went to Everett Community College. And I'm there and I'm like, oh, I faced this guy during the season. He was a draft pick. And this guy had my number. So I'm there, and I'm like, well, this whole starting experiment might not go my way. I can't get the community college guy out. (laughs) So I go eight innings, give up like a run, and Alan that night goes, hey, do you want to head back to Bend with me? I have to go set up for Ace's grad party. And we're right when we get in the car, he goes, I think I'm just going to move you back to the bullpen. You went eight innings. Yeah. I'm there, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself, right? Like, it's everything's going great. And Alan just goes, yeah, but we – kind of blew the game in the ninth past oh three my days. gosh <laughs> so he goes yeah you're gonna go into kind of a long-term closer role so like a two three inning save guy right so then next series was back at it and i don't think i gave up a hit for my first few outings that's like, great I, I was pretty on fire were you throwing harder as a result because you were in a shorter stint not at first at first i was still trying to treat it like i was starting where it'd be like by that second maybe third inning if i was out there that long the velo would come i didn't really have the concept of oh i gotta just go and throw as hard as i can for as long as i can Mm -hmm. because starting you kind of pace yourself out it's all right your first inning you may be 88 miles an hour but that doesn't mean in the fifth you can't be 90 because you just find when you need to do it you kind of see how the game's going how it progresses and just how you need to attack these hitters where do you see your future being as a pitcher do you want to start again or is that kind of in the past that's definitely in the past. That second summer in Bend, I kind of fell in love with the bullpen. Like, I got to Marshall, and they said, do you want to be a starter or do you want to be a reliever? Oh, they asked you. Interesting. They did because I came in, and I was a pretty big money guy there, and I had, had a really good summer, so they were pretty excited about having me. And I said, if you want me to start, I can if there's no other options. But I would prefer to be in the back end of the bullpen coming in in these situations, like in the eighth inning with, like, the bases loaded get through that, go get my clean inning in the ninth. So that's kind of been what – and my head coach really agrees with me on that. He loves it because I throw a split or something, just a different look from anything you'll see. And then our – I've had two pitching coaches at Marshall, Josh Newman, who's now at Penn State. He wanted me to start. He thought that I should have been a starter, but – and then when I got the injuries there, and he's like, well, you might get your wish of being a bullpen guy the rest of your career just because short, shorter instances of throwing. And so the plan looks like bullpen from now on. It's interesting because a lot of guys that are bullpen arms are trying to become starters. You almost never see guys who voluntarily are starting pitchers and say, no, you know, I'd rather be in the bullpen. Well, I think a lot of that comes from if you talk to Allen, and let's not forget Allen when he played – back in the stone age <laughs> long was, time ago yeah long not time really ago. that long ago no, but. like five years ago let's be honest <laughs> eight but alan 
could have been a starter. Allen was a lefty who threw 97, That's 98 right. miles an hour. If I if I remember right, I think he was drafted as a starter. He was drafted, actually, as a first baseman. That's right. But that's a different story for another time. <laughs> but, no, I would say I got a really big appreciation for the bullpen from Allen, and it came my freshman year, later in the year, when we were just blowing teams out of the water. I went in at Yakima with one out and a guy on second. I throw, like, a wild pitch, and then I give up a hit, and Jordan Wilcox's run scores, one of our starters at the time from the University of Portland. Go out there, get it easy out after that. Out of the inning and then next inning, clean inning by myself. And Alan kind of comes up to me and not angry, but a really big like learning moment was you don't let that guy's run score that just mm-hmm. that you take the ball from. And he said that that's what he prided his career on. So being around that, I think that's why I have the idea that I like being in the bullpen. Being able to save a guy's runs when he runs out of gas. Like, oh, the guy leaves with first and second, one out. He's not going to be able to get that double play that you need. He might give up a double. So you come in and you get that double play for him. And it's kind of a good way. It's a good way to have a winning team. Guys who are willing to sacrifice like their own numbers just to come in and help other guys out. Absolutely. What's the what's the toughest thing about that? When you come in to a game and you're thinking, man, I can't let this guy's run score. Let's say Sam Mushkat comes out. He, he leaves you a couple of runners. How do you go out there and say, man, I really don't want to hurt this guy's ERA. I really don't want to blow the wind for him. You think of it, and this was from, this is something that Alan has said, and then a guy on my team at Marshall, his brother was a 10-year minor leaguer. Never made it up to the big leagues, got a couple injuries, but he was a reliever. And he said, you treat each game like it's a game of one-on-one basketball, each hitter. So you're just trying to beat that hitter because you don't know when you're going to get pulled. Mm -hmm. So it's win as many games of one-on-one as you can. It's like you're playing pickup basketball almost. So you win your game of one-on-one against that guy, they're not going to score. You don't think about like, oh, his ERA is about to go up because I'm going to give up a home run here you just think just get this guy at the plate out and then everything else should take care of itself in the field I know you were telling me just a little bit ago about how you know for you being a pro prospect was something that you were interested in is that still something on your radar going forward I know you're going to be a red shirt senior so you're a little bit older than even some senior signs are yeah I would say and I know a lot of guys who have signed after their fifth year and I'd say at this point it's more of the idea of Obviously, my first year at Marshall, it was kind of a, if I could get this amount of money after having a good year, I'll take it. Now it's just if I can get the chance after having Tommy John and kind of being through what I've been through in college baseball and still being able to compete at a decently high level, just to have the opportunity would mean a lot. And then just to go show that there is something still there, there is still some substance, and just being able to compete and play the game you love as long as you can. How many opportunities do you think you're going to get at Marshall? Are you going to be their closer, or are you going to be more of a setup guy? That's really kind of a to-be-determined type thing. I think it just depends on how the fall goes, and then just kind of whoever. See, the interesting part about school ball is sometimes it's not the best guys who get the roles. I mean, you could have a guy throwing 95 miles an hour, but he sucks. It's just those guys who know the system at the school, like how you pitch guys and who can execute those pitches. So you'll see a lot of these golden arms, these freshmen that are brought in. And they'll have way better stuff than someone, some old geezer like me. 
but they don't know the system. They don't really know how college baseball works. So I think having that knowledge will give me the opportunity to kind of fit into a later in the game role. Or if it's like last year, we had we only had one starter who could consistently go six innings. So there's a lot of roles earlier mm-hmm. in the game to try to save it. So it just really kind of depends how you look at it. Like we run our bullpen a little bit differently. Our closer usually goes two innings there. Our setup goes about two or three if the game, if it's the fourth inning when we have to pull a starter. Because college baseball is a much shorter leash than summer ball. Because at the end of the day, the coaches are being paid to win games. So you need to find the quickest solution to fix things if it's not right on the mound. When you first got to West Virginia, you grew up here in the Pacific Northwest. You played baseball here in Bend. You played baseball in the state of Washington for two different schools, and you go to a completely different part of the country, a totally different atmosphere, everything else. Was that a culture shock for you? I would say yes and no. No in the sense that I did go to school in Pullman, Washington for a year, and you've heard the stories about that place, <laughs> But kind of the same culture, not as developed, not as much money going into Marshall as opposed to a Pac-12 school like Washington State, but same type of feeling. The one culture shock was people are a lot nicer in West Virginia. You get these like thick southern accents, and all they want to do is just chat you up about your whole life <laughs> it's almost like it's almost too friendly southern ho- hospitality yeah so what made you want to go out to the state of west virginia in the first place were there any other closer schools that were looking into you or was that your best option uh hawaii had talked to me wow cal state northridge cal state bakersfield i talked to seattle you a little bit that didn't go anywhere washington state the new coaches there actually talked to me interesting but kind of a prideful thing i didn't want to go back there by any Mm -hmm. means and then there was talks through allen of talking to oregon state at the beginning of that summer when i was killing it but at the end of the day that'd be a hard place to crack the surface to be able to play just because of how prestigious of a program that is so pretty much the decision with marshall was pretty easy they had reached out to me in the fall, and I wasn't ready to commit to them. And so they upped their scholarship offer, and they gave me a call, and I had gone on. I looked at their record during the year, and they set a school record in wins. And this is all without a field. We don't have a field at Marshall. Oh, okay. So to see a coach, our head coach, Jeff Wagner, does a great job of kind of setting all of those outside factors, like not having a field aside and making sure that we're ready to play on game day no matter where we practiced during the week, whether it was a YMCA or indoor or our football field. We practice out there sometimes. So the decision was pretty easy because I talked to Tommy Lane, who played at Marshall. They had a few Northwest guys, and it just seemed like one of those places that was perfect for somebody who was trying to get back to a really good conference. Like we play Rice, Southern Miss. We play like we play top 25 teams almost every weekend. So it was a pretty easy decision to say, I want to play against that competition and kind of get out of the Northwest baseball scheme that I had been in. Why does the school not have a field, and where do you play your home games? School doesn't have a field because it hasn't been built yet. There's been plans and talks for it. I just don't think that there's been either enough money or just maybe not even enough effort on the athletic staffs, on like the athletic department, to actually get the field in place. I would say a lot of that comes from the fact that we have a football We have a football team that's well-known. Right. So, in a way, baseball kind of gets overlooked, but 
at the end of the day, I don't think we have the money just to go and build a really nice baseball field. So when it does happen, it'll be a huge step for the program. And if our head coach is still there, it'll make it a lot easier to recruit because he gets really good players without a field. Mm -hmm. So imagine what he could do with a field and with the resources that you need to be successful. So I'm pretty excited for the future, even when I'm gone from Marshall University. Where do you play your home games right now? We travel 60 minutes up the road to Appalachian Power Park, home of the West Virginia Power, yep. single-A affiliate of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pirates, that's right. And we stay in a hotel every weekend that we're up there. So we're wow. on the road every single weekend. It's pretty crazy. Like, it's school's extremely hard to keep up with because no matter what, you're not there pretty much Thursday through till Sunday night. So... The one great thing, though, about playing up there is the field. The surface is great. They have a great crew of people. I mean, it's a professional field crew. So it's a pretty good substitute for not having your own field. For sure. Hey, to tie things back in here to the Elks, you've been here three years. Obviously, you've seen a lot. You were almost here last year as well. So in all four years kind of tied together with the Bend Elks Club, what has been the biggest thing you've learned as a player, maybe mentally, over those three years? I would say, and this is another Alan Embry lesson that I got, it was that you as, like, a player, you're supposed to do, like, a certain thing. Like, you're built. Like, some guys are speed guys when they hit. Like, they need to be able to lay down a bunt, be able to hit the ball on the ground and run around the base as fast as they can. A guy like me, coming out of the pen, my goal is to throw as many strikes as possible and not let them score which is most pitchers' goals, but right. especially when you're coming out of the bullpen, it's that pressure situation of, all right, get your offense back up to hit, we need a run. So the way that Allen always described it was when he was in the big leagues, it's each player has their own box. And when you float outside that box, it can be on the upper end of it, kind of like a box and whisker plot, right? Mm -hmm. You can go to your like high, and then you stay in there in that second to third quartile, which is kind of where you want to be. But if you start going back and going lower, it's a matter of how you can mentally get back to where you were. So whatever adjustment that may be, whether you need to talk to one of the coaches to find your swing again, find your mechanics on the mound, just however you can get back into that zone to where you'll be able to produce like you're supposed to. Some very wise words, Sam, and some very wise words from you here on this podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for uh, joining here. Thanks, Durs. It's always a pleasure, man. Absolutely. And thank you for tuning in to episode 16 of the Ben Delix podcast. We'll see you next time. I got my